All right, I'm here with Whitney Miller. Whitney, it's a pleasure. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so for those listening, we are currently in a yoga shala in Tulum with uh, beautiful turquoise waters uh, just behind us. Like I said earlier, this is the best, most beautiful place that I've ever recorded a podcast, and I don't think I've ever done a podcast in my swimsuit. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty much rocking the casual vibes. Yeah, we are. That's what you do here. That's what Tulum is all about. I agree. Yeah, so for context for those listening... Um, I've known of you and your work for, for several years, um, back when you were in a relationship with Aubrey, we met in Los Angeles and you gave a talk around relationships and sexuality. And one of the things that I've really been kind of channeling or, or, or being in the listening around is this notion of, of relationship, especially in the 21st century, because mm. I feel like, and you'll likely know the statistics, but I feel like we're in sort of a, a brave new world, if you will, as it relates to relationships. I feel like me- much of our traditional context around relationships come from actually in some ways antiquated notions of partnership, right? I mean, right. marriage traditionally in some ways was a, was a business contract. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've lived in various countries where, you know, marriages were arranged and, and based off of, you know, economic uh, viability. Uh, but now we're in this era of... of of love. And, and one of the things that I've found interesting is I think societally we, we, we judge relationships based on how long they last right. rather than how deep they go. Mm-hmm. And so I've been also, speaking vulnerably, um, a friend asked me a question, which was, what's the one thing if you took away and the one thing you added to your life that have the most profound impact? And for me, the answer was if I took away alcohol and if I added a committed, loving relationship. Mm, Wow. So I've taken away the alcohol, but Mm -hmm. I haven't yet called forward the committed, loving relationship. (laughs) But so so in essence, my why in part is I really wanted to just drop in for my own benefit and the benefit of all those listening on kind of breaking open our confined conception of relationship. I love that. I love that. Yeah, by context, I mean, can you share a little bit? I mean, you you have been in a variety of different types of relationships. Uh, You've, uh, you know, coached hundreds of people through a variety of different modalities as it relates to relationships. So as you think about relationships, how do you think about a what, what sort of the elements, if you will, of a successful, and I know that's a flawed word, but mm. what goes into your context around relationship and how do you, how do you see it and how do you see its, its potential? Yeah, I think it's, you know, for people within the modern world, what you said, breaking that open, breaking out society's bounds of what we think relationships have to be or how they have to look, it's, we're, it's an exciting time because we're in this space where we get to figure out what we really want in our love life. And we're not doing it because our parents used to do it or our grandparents used to do it or this is what we've seen. It's getting centered enough to really know yourself enough. Where do I thrive in these committed relationships? What type of partner am I calling in? What, how am I showing up in this co-created you know, relationship that you find yourself in? So I think now it's really people getting curious to know where they can fully feel fulfilled within their relationship. And that doesn't mean it needs to last for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. It can be a short amount of time, regardless of that six months you're with somebody, but it was a very deep, intimate relationship. 
or 60 years. It's like, what is the, what's the real juice of the relationship, not just the superficial, you know, house of it? I love that. Yeah, there's uh, this, this idea I've been playing with lately of, as it relates to all types of relationships, but, but I'm specifically obviously oriented around romantic relationships in this context, but the notion of people being in your life for a reason or a season. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I feel like I've had a tremendous number of seasons yep. <laughs> that, were, that were perhaps more in the gardening metaphor annuals rather than perennials. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I feel like I've been to stay with the metaphor, fertilizing the soil, right? Because yeah. I feel like societally we're sold this notion that we are, we're looking for someone to complete us, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, to me, a fallacy, right? It's like, ideally, you want two whole and complete, not perfect, imperfect, but whole and complete individuals, and the journey together feels somehow exponential, right? Like right. that one plus one equals three. At least that's my vision for, mm-hmm. for what I'm hoping to call forward. Um, but in that, it feels like at least I'm living under the, the notion that it, it starts with me, right? Like someone, someone once said to me, write out all the qualities of your perfect partner. And be now that. Now be that. Exactly. And I was <laughs> like, okay, that, that, that landed, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, In your experience, like how, how does who we're being, how does the cultivation of self relate to the types of people we, we draw in? You know, the one question I get asked the most is, what's the best thing that I can do for my relationships? How can I find my perfect partner? And it's what you just said. It's like, become that. You know, it really starts with yourself. And even if you're in a relationship that you want to make better, quit trying to change the other person and make them do something different. You change. Someone has to go first. And so if you really want that, go first. Become whatever it is that you truly want in your relationships. And and know that kind of what you said too, like your annuals, you know, that a lot of people come into your life for a certain amount of time. Um, and, and maybe that's just a completion of that relationship. I, I always play with these terms of, I don't necessarily like the term breakup. So I was calling it transition for a while when Aubrey and I transitioned out of our relationship. But I really like the notion of a, of a completion because that was a beautiful relationship and you can add a completion to that. Um, but yeah, I think it's 100% starting with yourself. What, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. What are some of the things that, you know, you want to be doing but you haven't tried yet? Who are the people that you want to be surrounded by? Where do you want to be, you know, living? What, do, what type of life do you want to cultivate? It really starts 100% with yourself. There's this quote um, that says, we don't attract who we want, we attract who we are. And that really, like, stuck with me. So it's like, okay. I see that. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, totally, I totally resonate with that. And I guess it brings me to, to one of my questions, right, which is this notion of triggers, right? Because they say, like, the ultimate, in a way, it's like if, it, it, you know, it's like if you, feel, if you think you're, like, enlightened, you know, they say, you know, go spend a week with your family. Right. And also, like, the ultimate, the ultimate sort of um, trial really is, and the ultimate transformation is actually in the mirroring we see Mm. with our partner Mm -hmm. with in in relationship. And so from that context, like, because all of us, uh, I'll speak personally. I mean, for me, what I find is it's, you know, oftentimes our triggers are, are, are windows into those unindividuated aspects of ourselves. Um, is there, is there, from your point of view, a way in which to most effectively manage 
triggering such that it can actually foster the deepening of that relationship as opposed to pulling it apart. Because I feel like, you know, in the context of uh, this just kind of notion of breakdowns and breakthroughs, like we'll inherently have breakdowns. Right. But it's whether or not you're committed to breakthrough that really, tr- that really tests the quality of a, of a true relationship. Um, but how do you think about triggers or breakdowns, if you will, in the context of effective relating? I think it's necessary. I mean, you can't have a relationship without eventually getting triggered in some way, right? Um, Because they are mirroring that to us. And so I think it's understanding when that happens, getting really curious. Why Why am I getting triggered? Not what your person is doing or what they may have done or said, but it's taking the responsibility and saying, hmm, interesting. I haven't fully looked at this part within me. And if you don't have that commitment for yourself the relationship usually will come to an end because you're not going you're not going deep enough within yourself to allow your partner to see you in that way and i think that's the most important thing that you can do is one you know focusing on yourself but also when those triggers come up when you get scared when you get angry when you feel like the relationship is ending getting curious and allowing allowing your partner to see and hold you within that now it takes having a partner who is committed in the same way to do that but um, I think once you start to flex that muscle, it just, it's, that's, that's sacred union to me. Yeah, it's beautiful because just before this conversation, um, we, were, we were having breakfast with your partner. And just seeing the way you are being together for me is inspirational. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I like this. This is, it's, it's beautiful to witness. And I feel like one of the things that, is interesting as we talk about this concept of sort of mirror and triggering for me is how like I think a lot of us get caught in the good enough right, right. like I think a lot and I, I feel like people listening can probably relate to this right you're like wow this is really good you know it's not it but you're like this is really good like this is like to use a crass analogy like this is like an eight and a half or a nine right (laughs) but it's not my full 10 fuck yes Mm -hmm. but people aren't willing to forsake giving that up because who knows if the 10 will ever come right like for whatever that 10 means for them and I don't mean that in like just a physical sense I just mean like what that means for you in terms of your embodied vision and so as you think about like because because I've done some really deep transformational personal work and one of the things I know is I'm going to need to be with someone who's equally committed to working on themselves yeah right Mm -hmm. and so I've had for example people that were like on paper like insane Mm -hmm. you know like um absolutely like incredible but I knew they weren't my person right you know how do you how do you how do you both help discern you know and, and and maybe it's just a sense of like you know a lot of people are like love at first sight like that's it um, but I've also heard other people be like, no, it was a totally slow burn. We were friends. It actually came as a surprise. And yeah. then it's like been enduring. When you're in the inquiry around your full fuck yes, as it relates to a partner, how do you both discern kind of like whether or not this is like, because I think there's a lot of people who are like, you know, if you know, you know. And then the others are like, well, actually we can, we can change and grow together. And maybe that eight becomes a 10. Right. But I know, especially actually with a lot of women in my life, they're also wanting to change their partner. So it's like, it's an interesting like, okay, well, it's an eight, but if I help him change this, he'll be a 10. Mm-hmm. But then they wind up being 
kind of perpetually dissatisfied. Right. So for those who are, who are living not in their full fuck yes as it relates to relationship, how do you sort of think about the way in which we can move more into the, the full fuck yes? I mean, I think it really all circles back to what, it, like figuring out what your full fuck yes is mm. and giving that to yourself. Like it takes effort. That's the other thing is people want relationships to just happen and be romantic and passionate all the time, you know? And it's like, no, it takes some effort. You have to put in the work. You have to do the self-work. You have to push yourself past the comfort, you know, your little baby comfortable womb that you want to stay in. You have to like break out of that to fully have that full fuck yes type of relationship. And I think it just depends on where you're at in your life, you know, what stage you're at, what you really want, what's important to you, and that's going to shift and change over time. So yeah, maybe someone comes into your life and it's fireworks and and rainbows and butterflies right out of the gates. Awesome. But also realize that a lot of the times when that happens, if they're mirroring to us, we're in this pace of, okay, this can shift. This can really change. So we're really high, which happens, what means you can fall down really hard. Right. Um, and so it's just like asking yourself, okay, if this is a full fuck yes right out of the gates, what aspects of my personality is coming to life that maybe has been atrophied in mm-hmm. other areas? Um, and even when you're in relationship, as you, if you're in a long-term relationship, asking yourself that same question. If I feel myself wanting to pull away what aspects of my personality is, are you mirroring to me right now that's causing me to be standoffish or pull away or put up my guard? Um, a lot of, you know, affairs too. Mm. What aspect of your personality is coming out with that other person that, you may, that may not be coming out within your relationship? Yeah, Esther Perel talks about that notion of like how the challenges we, we have, we want the person to be our like, incredible, you know, I'll use in, in the context of when I spoke with her, but like the notion of like this incredible husband, beautiful father, gentle soul, but then also like ravishing lover, yeah. like all these different archetypes right. you want in one person. And oftentimes, obviously, to put those expectations on one person with the pressures of life and living mm-hmm. is oftentimes a, a failing enterprise. Uh, yeah. And I, how, do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think about navigating that? I, just be real, you know, be real with yourself. They can't, what, what are your 100% pillars? Like what's really necessary for you in this, in that relationship? You know, for me personally, stability, someone who's like very stable and like shows up and allows me to kind of, I'm, I'm loud and I'm social and I'm, I'm just kind of a lot of a human being. <laughs> and so having someone who's just like calm and stable balances me out in a way that I feel is very nourishing. So that to me is one of my pillars that I have to have in a relationship for me to fully open up. Yes. Um, which is what I have now, which is feels really nurturing to me. And then so the other areas, like you can, you can cultivate that in your relationship, but realizing that it's not necessary to having, that's not like the foundation of it. Yeah. So I think focus on like, what is your real foundation here? Um, try to find that in whatever partner, you know, comes into your life and know that that's like your guiding star, but then do the work together to figure out, okay, we know that at some point we're going to have desire for somebody else. Most likely, how are we going to navigate that? How are we going to navigate novelty and fantasy and all of these other areas within our relationship? 
Yeah, so let's go into that a bit, and we, if we can, make it a little bit personal. Sure. Uh, because, so I, what, I know you now with your current partner, but I, I met, when I met you, you were with Aubrey, and we're having a very public, I would say, uh, discourse with, with um, you know, your respective uh, audience, uh, followers, etc., in, in a very beautiful, transparent way about the trials and tribulations of, I would say, what occurs to many as a non-traditional or non-conventional relationship. Yeah, polyamorous. Polyamorous, exactly. So um, as someone who's not personally been in a polyamorous relationship, but I'm intrigued by this notion, because I will say, I mean, again, speaking vulnerably, so my parents uh, were together uh, one week from from 50 years, right? In a beautiful, committed, uh, loving, monogamous relationship. So that's the which I know is very rare in this day and age. I don't take that for granted. That's the, that's the, the sort of North Star that I have. And, again, because I'm committed to real talk, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know who you are or, uh, you know, like how amazing your love is. I don't know, because I've never been there, how 20 years in you're right. still wanting to and feel ravished. You know, it's like, again, a crass analogy, but it's like I love chocolate ice cream. It's like, it's amazing. But does that mean I never want to try vanilla or Rocky Road? <laughs> no, it, it doesn't, you know? Like, right. And, and also, I can't even imagine, and, I, you know, I think I'm, I have, you know, I, I like myself, but I can't imagine my partner 20 years in not wanting to try Rocky Road or mm-hmm. vanilla. So ha- as you were in kind of the, uh, the, the Dairy Queen, if you will, yeah. of like all the flavors, you know, what was your, can you give a, a little bit of context into sort of how you chose that, what that actual lifestyle was like for you? How, what, how was it to relate to multiple mm-hmm. people? I think a lot of people exoticize it, uh, but at least, uh, you know, Neil Strauss wrote in The Truth, the guy who wrote the game, right. about his hilarious trials and tribulations with polyamory Mm -hmm. and I know that some people actually are very happy and in long-term committed sort of polyamorous relationships what what was your experience like and what were some of the great insights that you garnered from that experience yeah it was a it was a wild ride for sure Aubrey and I were uh together for about eight years um two years of that monogamous and we intellectually and hypothetically had conversations about what that would be like. What does an open relationship, what, what would we do? And does that turn you on? Would you like this or would you hate this? And we would read the books and just have like intellectual conversations about it. Um, and then he wanted to try it. And I was like, hell no, you're insane. <laughs> so I, I packed a backpack and I went backpacking. It was one, it was supposed to be one month and it ended up being three months. But during that trip, um, I had met somebody who I was interested in and I felt like the attraction to somebody, but I also was still in love with Aubrey. And so that was my first aha moment that, love is infinite. That just because I'm attracted to this person, it takes nothing from Aubrey. But I had to embody that. I had to feel that. So when I came back from my trip, he was like, I still want to be with you. I still wanted to be with him. He was already seeing somebody um, who is now my best friend in the entire world, but that's not how it began. Um, and he said, let's, let's try this open relationship if, if you want to. And I didn't know if I could do it or not. And I'm the type of person that I want to know. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. And for sure say either fuck yes or fuck no. Yeah. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll try it out, you know. And we tried it out. And it was, you know, we didn't have a roadmap. We didn't have people in our community who were doing it. And so we were 
trying to figure it out the best way we possibly knew how, blinded. Um, and so it was hard. It was very hard. And I, can't, I come from a background of I was very jealous in all of my relationships, like going through phones, looking for like hair follicles. I was that girlfriend. And so this busted that completely wide open um, because it brought all of my jealousy and fears and insecurities right in my face every single day. So I liken it to, I was in ceremony for eight years of just digging everything up that I possibly could. And there was some really beautiful, you know, parts to it too, because Aubrey and I felt there were times where you know, the passion in our relationship after being together for six, seven years was still peak level, you Mm -hmm. know, and that doesn't tend to happen much, particularly in long-term relationships. Um, And also the communication that we had was just 100% ruthlessly honest with each other as much as we could. You know, we'd fall here and there. Um, and, And really what I talk about most at through that entire experience is that it taught me so much about myself. I know why I was jealous. I know what my triggers are. I know what I really want in a relationship. I know what's necessary. I know, um, you know, when my abandonment wounds come up, I, I can analyze myself now in a way that allows me to show up as the partner that I want to be in the relationship that I'm in now. And so it was, like I said, an eight year ceremony in the best way possible. Um, the other really cool thing about that, which, which uh, people tend to not think about, is I didn't have a whole lot of girlfriends growing up. I was always really competitive with other women, as most women are, unfortunately. And uh, when I got into this relationship with Aubrey, I, was, I had to have these really uncomfortable conversations with other women mm. because they were with my man, you know? Like, they're yeah. having sex with my fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> It's a strong move, yeah. Yeah. So, of course, emotions would come up. So we had to sit down and have these very vulnerable conversations. And it allowed me to support women in in a very different way. Okay, so can I just pause you for a moment? Because I think myself and I imagine those listening... What does that conversation look like? Like when you're when you're like basically approaching either I want to have sex with someone else and or potentially like meeting with the partner that's going to sleep with your fiance. Like, how does that transpire? And 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 what does that look like as a sort of a conscious conversation? Yeah, you know, well, it first starts with Aubrey and I. We would sit down, or you'd sit down with your partner and just say, "Hey, this is something that I'm interested in." Mm-hmm. Um, and have a conversation around that. How do you feel about that? What would that look like? Uh, when would this be? How did you guys meet? You know, like just really understanding kind of what, why, what's the why behind that relationship? Because a lot of people think it's just a free-for-all. You know, they, I think one of the myths of polyamory and, and unconventional relationships is that you can just have sex with anybody and it's not a big deal and you're having orgies constantly and blah, blah, blah. And that's definitely not the case. You're more so talking about having sex with other people than actually having sex with other people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we would just really understand the why behind it. What, what do you enjoy about it? What do you enjoy about this person? Do they know about our relationship? How much do they know about our relationship? Um, and then the way that we set up our open relationship was we always met the other people. Mm. Whereas that's not the case for everybody. Some people want to meet it. Some, some people don't. Um, and it's just personalized to however you want to construct that type of relationship. Uh, but for us, we always met. And so 
there was always like butterflies and I was still dealing with a lot of my competitiveness because I felt threatened a lot yeah. of the times. And so I would have to just push through that and try to be as soft and open in the pain as much as I possibly could. And it's just trying to understand this person and seeing them as a person, not seeing them as a threat to me. Wow. Which didn't go well every single time. Let's not. <laughs> Definitely not. I, I remember, and this is, I've been shared publicly, so I'm not betraying anything, but I remember talking to Aubrey, what he was saying, and I think he's even shared this, but uh, about being in an air, in the airport and like he was about to fly somewhere. And oh then, my God, then that's there was right. Some, a guy you were seeing, I, I don't know, or something. Uh, you know, that, or that you were interested in that had, that had been established. And he's about to get on a plane and they make an announcement over the loudspeaker of the guy's name. Yes. And he's like landing and he didn't know and he's like flying off. And I was just like, wow, if I were sitting in that, like I was just trying to put myself <laughs> in those shoes of like, what would it be like to know that like the guy who's, want, who's the suitor of your fiance is, is either landing or missing his, choosing he's to miss, miss his he flight. He was missing his flight. Yeah, exactly. That's what was While happening. you take off. Yeah. That was just like, wow. That, that, that was definitely like a, a mind bender. And there's just situations like that that are just funny. That, like, how does that happen? Yeah. Right? How does he, how does Aubrey just happen to be right by the gate that he was supposed to be flying out of that he didn't end up flying out, right? So yeah. it's just, it's just funny to look back at certain instances like that. I actually forgot about that until you, until you mentioned it now. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've never talked to him about it. And I was like, oh, man. Like, that's like some, that's some Jedi Knight training. Like, I'm not a jealous person by nature. Uh, I would say very, very, I have, at least to date, experienced um, very little jealousy. But that said, if I were in a relationship of that caliber, right? Like, yeah. you're engaged. And I knew that the suitor who was, who was, I'm sure, I don't, I don't know this person, but, you know, obviously worthy enough to, to, to take, to warrant your attention. Um, so therefore probably has some things going for themselves, you know, to be in that ego surrender, to allow that is, is really an exercise that I've not yet embarked on, but I, I'm fascinated by. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Like that is, I mean, I do a lot of ego-shattering activities, a lot of things that I, that I choose to, to, to put, you know, sort of gauntlets I put myself through, but that's not what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just fascinated because I feel like it's not something that many people would, would in any way voluntarily sign up for. Right. And yet you did, and, 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 and obviously now, uh, hindsight being 2020, you know, you guys had, uh, uh, as I understand, an amicable parting. You've each moved on. What were some of the great insights that you garnered now? Because, I mean, yeah, you've been very public about this, but, you, you know, you had uh, a very boundary-pushing uh, yeah. context for, for a significant period of time and obviously have uh, profound love and chose into a different context. So what, what what, what realizations did you have about yourself? What became clear for you such that you would either want to replicate it in a new relationship or perhaps you were like, you know, karmically, I think I've explored that realm. It was an interesting room to visit, but perhaps I won't go back there. Yeah. I think one big thing for me is that our relationships and, and how we have our relationships can be very fluid. Mm. So right now, and I haven't even really publicly talked about this, I'm in a monogamous relationship. Mm. I've been interested in that, and I've been talking about being interested in that, 
But now it's like, okay, I have a boyfriend and I'm in a monogamous committed relationship, which I haven't been in since I was 22 years old. So it's interesting to watch me now try this container because it's different. And it's just funny because normally that's not how my mind would think about it. It's like, yeah, of course it's a monogamous relationship. You just get in it and figure it out. But I've taken so much of the things that I've learned from the polyamorous relationship into this relationship. Um, and I, and that's the other thing. There's like these two camps. It's either like monogamous or polyamorous, you know, yeah. and we point fingers at each other. But there's so much overlap. There's so much that monogamous couples can learn from the polyamorous community. And there's so much that polyamory can learn from the monogamous couples. And it's just like understanding what that is. So for me, it's really like what we talked about earlier, there's triggers and communicating those triggers and the importance of that and the importance of pushing yourself outside of, uh, outside of your comfort zone to do that. Um, even sexually, like understanding yourself sexually was really important within a polyamorous relationship because you're bringing in other people you know, whether you're by yourself with that person or whether it's in a group scenario situation. So really understanding your boundaries and getting clear on that, that was very helpful for me. And we're not taught, we're not taught that, Definitely right? Not. No, we can't talk about sex. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's been interesting to just to watch what my new fears are mm. as I come into this, as opposed to, I'm a little bit more comfortable, I think, in the polyamorous world, because it's like, I can kind of be committed, but not really committed, and that's how I was for a while, um, and now it's like, oh, all of this new, these new fears, these new ego-shattering things that I need to be doing, I'm like, that makes me very excited. Yes. Well, let's get vulnerable on that for a minute. Okay. What, what, what are the new fears that are arising for you that... Because, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just project because I have no, I, I don't know. But I would imagine that if I were in a polyamorous context, a lot of the fears would be around, yeah, like that comparison, right? Like between, right. which the comparison game of like, oh, that person's just fitter than I am, or I feel like they're somehow more charming or more funny. Oh, you'll come up with anything. Yeah, exactly. Come up with anything with anyone. <laughs> like, this person may not bother you, but then this the second person that comes in, you're like, God, look at his eyes. His eyes are just so great, you right. know? And it's just like any little thing. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> no, so, I'm, so I'm like, okay, that I can imagine that. But, but in the context of as you step into a monogamous context, which is probably... I would, I would argue more of like what many listening are, are likely in or considering, although I don't want to make assumptions. What are your new fears? Like as you re-enter into this new world, like what's coming up for you as like new questions? Yeah, we actually just had this conversation. Was it, no, it wasn't last night. It was the night before because I found myself getting really scared. And when yeah. I get scared, I tend to just uh, put my walls up and just be very almost like in freeze mode, you know? And I was mentioning that to him the other day and I was just like, I just feel myself being very scared. And I I think it's, it's because of trust, you know, like I want to trust that what he's saying is, is real. Mm. And, but at the same time, we're, the communication that we're having is a little bit different. So I'm learning how to trust the way that he communicates and the way, and what he's saying is, is, is actually what he wants. Right. And so for me, trust is huge. There's also the, the high risk game of abandonment. Like, Mm -hmm. holy shit. What if 
I really get into this and I try really hard and then he leaves. Then what? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've been working on a lot. And that's something I worked on in the polyamorous container too. But for some reason, and I'm still like figuring this out, for some reason as I go more deeply into this committed partnership, the abandonment wound is still there. Wow. I want to share something because I'd love your insights that I've actually never shared with uh, the audience, um, which is that from in my longest monogamous relationship, I moved actually, I left, I was living in Chicago at the time and, and had, you know, life was good, right? Like I had a gallery representing me, was performing Capoeira, I had a great job, my family, community, and I sacrificed that. We, we actually lived in apartments right across the hall from each other, which was, mm. which was pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, but I, I packed up both of our apartments, literally got a 40-foot trailer, moved across the country to California. Wow. Two to three weeks, maybe it's three weeks into living together, which is my first time moving in with a partner, mm. she cheated on me. She didn't come home for two nights. Oh. And it led, I mean, ultimately now... It led, I mean, it led, real talk, it led me to a dark night of the soul. Yeah. I mean, I started, I mean, the, the beer bottles in my recycle bin were, were, were lined up, you know, quite strong. Yeah. You know, I was, I was uh, smoking weed. I was doing things that would basically uh, numb me from the pain yeah, of that betrayal. And what's interesting is I've done so much work on that, but I, what I realized is still, I think to this day, I have a quandary and a question around trust. So when you brought that word up, it was, for me, it, was, it wasn't triggering, but I was like, wow, yeah, I think one of the things that is really my breakthrough, right, mm -hmm. if you will, is now totally surrendering, knowing that, like, you can surrender and do the things and put yourself out there um, and, and get hurt, right? Like, get, like, you know, have someone, you know, cheat on you, what right. have you. And it's still worthy of that, that, that risk, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, I'd rather have the risk with the potential reward on the other side of that in taking the leap of trust, the taking the leap of faith. However, and I imagine this could resonate with, for some because I think many people have been, whether it be betrayed or have had their trust broken, what are some of the ways, if you, if, if, if you were thinking about it, if you were talking to me, right, like as, as a friend who has a, a, a context around that trust, how do you think about breaking through that quandary or at least being in the dance with it such that you can still cultivate a beautiful relationship when you have questions around whether you can trust someone? Well, even like as you talk about it, I notice when you talk about being in that dance, being in that space where it's like, ooh, I, I like the, the potential reward. I like that feeling. Is like you light up. Yeah. Like your whole energetic body is just like, yeah, that feels great, you yes. know? And so it's realizing that that's that right there is the good shit. Like that's your juice, yeah. you know? And if we're in a place of, if we're running from something or we're chasing after something, we're not free. We're not living freely at all. And so, and trust is freedom. So it's saying, okay, I'm going to surrender to all of the potential things that could be pulling me one way or another, knowing that the real deep, intimate love of life is freedom. And so it's just trusting in that, in that process. And it's not easy. It's not, you know, there's not one thing that you can, I can say, hey, do this, and you're going to trust everybody, right. right? That's just not how it works. It's like, it's a, it's a surrendering process within and of yourself and saying, I'm choosing to live freely, 
And I'm not choosing. I don't want to choose to run anymore. I don't want to choose to chase someone anymore. I want to choose this perfect, like, I don't, it's like hard to put into words like, because it's like a feeling, mm. you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel that because for me, at least, I re- what really resonates is you use the word freedom. Yeah. And freedom is one of my core values, right? It's why I'm living here at the moment. It's, 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 it's so core to my being. It's, it's like I can't, in fact, if I feel that someone's threatening my freedom, mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest triggers I would have. Now, what's interesting is, I think for many years, I th- and real talk, I think in some ways, uh, likely a protection mechanism from that trust context when it was broken, I then went into uh, a lifestyle that enabled me to have short-term, deep, but not really sa- like not really risky relationships yeah. because I was always traveling somewhere else, right? Which is part of my passion, and, right. and, and it's. But again, real talk, right? It's also a convenient way never to go super deep right. because you're always going somewhere else. That it's like, okay, well, that you're not, you're not putting yourself in that in that context where that can go. Super you always deep. have a little bit out. You exactly, know? you're not fully in, and so I used to think of freedom as that. And now I actually see the freedom that's available in commitment. You know, a friend of mine said to me, and I love this, it was something he said just kind of in passing, but he said, it's not a coincidence that there's no single presidents. Mm-hmm. And for me, it like really resonated because, you know, if you have a true queen or king, whatever your consort is, that archetype, that person ultimately, I think, and that gauntlet that we're talking about causes you to elevate into an aspect of yourself that I, I don't know that you, I mean, I think you probably could get to on your own, but I feel like there's a unique medicine in that that, that is likely an, uh, an expression otherwise unrealized. Yeah. And so for me now, I actually am, I am, my quandary, my question is, what does freedom look like in commitment, in and through commitment, mm-hmm. and what becomes available, right? Because also, like, let's keep it real. Like dating is work, you know, yeah. like, uh, and, and all of the energies that go into texting and dating and all the, it's work. Now, relationships are work, but I feel like as I ask myself the question, which is part of the reason I stopped drinking for the time being, of fun versus fulfillment, I realized that, okay, the short term can be fun. Yeah. But it's not, if I look back over the years, it's not often aligned with fulfillment. And I feel like the freedom that comes from commitment and the fulfillment that can proceed, which is even, I think, greater than the freedom. Like I, my, my, my sister gave birth last week, you know, and it's oh, like, wow. you know, and I have my niece, uh, Liana. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, so Uncle. first time I've talked about that. So, but to see her and I'm like, wow, you know, yep. like next generation of family, that's what's on the other side of that trust, that commitment, and the freedom that proceeds, and then life opening in a whole new way. Yeah, it's, it's from what, I'm like a very visual person, so I like create these mind stories in my head, and then say them. Uh, what it reminds me of is just, when you're in a committed relationship, it allows you to just take off all of your armor. Yes. So if you find somebody, and that's where the freedom comes into play, right? You're mm-hmm. like, I'm fully in this, so freedom to me within commitment is being with somebody that you can just start to take your shit off, you yes. know? It's going to be hard because they're the one person that's going to like mirror it back to you. But like having that ability to just be like, okay, 
I'm going to take this off because we're in this committed relationship to dance freely in the, like our love hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, the being like literally and metaphorically naked feels right to me. Right. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. it's why sometimes it's so hard for people to make eye contact, like way yeah. harder than so many other things, because to actually be seen and to see another human mm-hmm. without flinching is truly to like expose yourself, right? right? It's to take off that armor. It's to take it off. And one of the things that I love for couples to do and friends too, is just eye gazing, mm-hmm. but also just taking in every wrinkle, mm. every like where, where, every time that you cried, every time that you laughed, like what is the story of your face mm. of everything that's going on? And so for couples to just sit there and look at each other and just admire the person that's in front of you is so beautiful and can be so deep and really deep in that intimacy. Oh, I love that. Okay, so we're talking about deep intimacy. One of the things I've wanted to talk to you about, mostly because I want to check my own comfort level, but also (laughs) because I think it will serve the audience, um, is sex. Yeah. So sex and intimacy. Mm -hmm. Well, we can talk about sex beyond intimacy as well, but in the context of sex and sexuality, which is obviously the, in many ways, integral distinction between a platonic and, and very fulfilling relationship and you know, your partner, whether that be a partner with, with other partners or your monogamous partner, mm-hmm. is oftentimes the glue that, that, that holds and keeps us together. And I'd love your thoughts uh, around how do you see sex as it pertains to a healthy, the express, expression in a, I, I want to be careful with my words, in a expansive and healthy relationship? I think it's an integral part. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think sex, even just our sexuality, needs to be a part of being a healthy human. We talk yeah. about nutrition, we talk about exercise. Your sexuality is 100% a part of that. Um, and so... It first starts with exploring yourself. And, you know, so many of us, including myself, come from a history of sexual abuse. And that can really close you off to that part of you, understandably so. Um, But so being, you know, brave enough to, like, let me know myself more deeply in this very intimate way. And so when you're able to do that and show up in a relationship in that way, that's where, you know, that's where the fun is too. Yeah. It's not just like you're, you can have sex to really deepen the intimacy between you guys, but it's also like you're doing it because it feels good and it's fun. Totally. Um, but there's so many, you know, I think because we don't talk about sex as much, people don't think it's as necessary as it is in a relationship. However, you see couples who are together not having sex and most of the time there's other issues in their relationship. One thing that I find most um, most of the time when I'm working with my clients is the fact that they talk about they're not having sex and they don't have desire in their relationship. But usually it's because there's a lot of other unsaid, deeper rooted things going on. So it's, we can talk about sex and you guys aren't having sex. Yeah, sure. But let's go underneath that. You know, like what are, the, what are all of the things that is causing resentment and a wedge in your relationship? But I always say resentment is the monster that eats love. Mm. So if you have that, you know, it's your sex life is the first thing to kick it. Yeah, a, a dear elder friend of mine who's, who's in a relationship I deeply admire said to me once, he said, 
if you have a disagreement or a breakdown, you know, he said, because I, I asked him, I was like, what's the key? Like, he's in his 80s, and he's in, like, like one of the relationships that I feel is like, Amazing. okay, <laughs> like, that's what's up, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, they live in Lake Tahoe. They're, like, they're doing all the things together. And I was like, man, what is the key, Lenny? You know, and he was like, ultimately, he's like, he thought about it for a minute, and he was like, when you get into a disagreement or there's some kind of, like you're talking about resentment that builds, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe I think the resentment almost grows from like a lack of speaking through the breakthroughs right. around all those breakdowns, right? So those acc- accumulated breakdowns. He said, would you rather be in love or would you rather be right? And he's like, most people hold too often to being right mm-hmm. as opposed to holding to the true north of being in love. Right. He said, what I've learned over the years is it doesn't matter to be right. I'd, I'd, I'd fully forsake being right. He said, find your way back to love. And then he said, actually, he said, and make love as soon as possible mm-hmm. to like gestate and bring back that sort of synchrony, right? Like that synchrony. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. That was even something in our polyamorous relationship that I, it was very necessary for us was to you know, reclaim, they call it reclamation, reclaiming our relationship by physical touch. So it's like an intentional um, (laughs) reclamation sex, you know, of just bringing each other back into that really loving space and being like, oh yeah, we are in this together. We are committed to to love and we are committed to growth and, and just being able to connect in that way was super, super beautiful and beneficial as we moved through that. How do, you, how do you approach when you are in a breakdown, like, or if you are in a place of resistance, knowing, because I think many of us know that it's like, like I feel like post-orgasm, when, when you're with someone that, you know, uh, you know, when you're with a lover, if you're in a place of synchrony, it's like, oh, you can finally, like you move from your active self, whether it's your active feminine or your active masculine, and you can actually be in your rested self, right? Yeah. Like your rested nature. And I feel like there's such a healing available in that, oh, for sure. right? Obviously, as you said, many people have triggers and traumas, which which um, come into the conversation that can be complicating. But I think, in its true sense, actually, sex and sexuality can be such a healing, right? Oh yeah. And so, for those who have barriers, either in that they have that resistance or resentment, or um, maybe have certain things that keep them uh, from, from taking the leap back into a healthy sexual expression. What are the ways in which one can break through, either with themselves and or with a partner, such that they can find that synchrony again? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's like... There's like, I feel like there's different ways that you can go about this, right? Because mm-hmm. there's the Tantra world where you are doing breath work together. Um, there's also BDSM, which can be very healing for people, some, uh, for people who have experienced sexual trauma and healing through BDSM in that way. There's also just things, if you're in a long-term relationship and, you know, you don't have that much desire, working out together it increases your endorphins. Like, small things like that you can do. Um, but really... I think in that place that you're talking about where you're truly connected to your partner within that post-orgasm glow, you know, um, is more of the tantra side of things. And that's sitting together, doing that meditation we talked about, just looking at them, looking at their body, celebrating their body. And also just 
what I really like to do is give the other person pleasure. So it's like only focus on them for X amount of time. Maybe it's a whole session. Maybe it's at least 30 minutes. But you're not there. I'm not showing up to receive any pleasure from them. I'm here to like be with you and to give you pleasure and to celebrate and, and honor you in that way. And a lot of people have a hard time receiving that that yeah. love and receiving, just being able to relax and be like, okay, wait, what am I supposed to do now? Do I do something to you? You know, it's just like, no, surrender to it. Allow your partner to like love on you in that way. It's, it's so beautiful. And you can watch, watch what co- starts to come up in your head and just continue to breathe your way through it. That I think is, is super poignant because I feel like many people almost associate sex with performance. Oh, yeah. You know? And, and all, unfortunately, many people also have grown up with, I think, a totally uh, often toxic context around, whether it be through media, pornography, what have you. Also, I think in the U.S., you know, just like um, a, a much greater um, openness to even violence than, than nudity, right? right, in terms of our media. And so I think there's, there's, this, there's this strange skewing of, of consciousness in a way that oftentimes leads to unhealthy expression. But in the context of a healthy sexual expression, and I think also that, that willingness to, if you will, surrender, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're talking about, like, I think even when someone's giving you pleasure, you feel oftentimes not worthy or like, well, what can I do? Ba- what right. can I? Yep. And, and I think... Um, I feel like that's, to me, the, the real juice, right? Like, yeah. I'm fascinated by what are the ways in which to shift per, almost perennially into that mindset of giving. Right? I, think, I think that's the key to any relationship, by the way, right? Like, I think, unfortunately, societally, we're so conditioned to transact and extract value, yeah. right? But oftentimes, what not all, I mean, what leads to the greatest results in almost any aspect of life, but especially relationship, is coming from a place of giving, right? right. Like, is coming from a place of service. And to me, I feel like it's only from a place of what I've come to, to learn is only from a place of deep listening, right? Like, not just to the words, although communication is lubrication, right? right. And they say the brain is the greatest sexual organ, right? Like, how do you actually, like, cultivate a sense of that safety, of that, of that, of that uh, openness, of that, you know, of that enticing kind of context in communication? But then also, in a sexual context, like, how are you listening, right? How are you listening to the body? You right. know, like the breath. I also, I find so many people also don't breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they, they repress their breath, right? Yeah. Like their bot, you know, the bot, there's, there's a lack, I think, across the board of, of us being open and expressed in our bodies to the degree that we can be. And, and also sound, right? Like the expressions of like following not what you think as a, perform, as a performance you should do, but rather being in a listening around the deep yearnings and deep desires of yeah. the person you're in communication with. Yeah, and that's, that's what we're, you know, I, have, I do a four-month relationship mentorship program, and that's, we're in the sexuality module right now. And I brought in a, a co-coach, uh, Kenneth Play, who's amazing. If anybody, like he does how-to videos on Pornhub, um, it's like real-life sexual education how-to from mm. anything and everything. It's amazing. 
Highly recommend him. Um, he'll change your sex life. But this is one of the things that we were talking about with the people in the mentorship program is reading your partner's body. Mm. Where are they getting goosebumps, mm. you know? Where does something feel ticklish? Do they have a little smile? Where are their eyes? Like, start to really read them. That's where that synchronicity comes into play. And that's, like, the best part of it all. And as you said, you know, so many of us go into sex thinking it's a performance. And I hear this a lot from women too, is that, and I've experienced this, I still even watch my own mind sometimes, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to pleasure him. You know, I'm, I'm going to put on a good show for him. And unfortunately, that's what our society is kind of like, you know, put in our brains. But it's like, trying your best to get out of that performance mentality, being able to receive pleasure from your partner. And start next time you have sex with somebody, like for the listeners, really read their body. Really take some time to slow down, breathe together, and read their body and see what's going on, seeing really how they feel. Yeah, I feel like that is... That place of being in the listening as it relates to lovemaking is, to me, the absolute sort of paramount, like, mm -hmm. like way in which to find attunement, right? To find yeah. that, like, that place of, like, of truly beautiful sexual expression. To me, that's, if I were to say what's the key to good sex, to me, that is, that, that would be probably the, the core number one. Um, but as you think about you know, I, I was thinking about this. You know, there's for those listening, there's a context and conversation around the love languages, right? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, for for those who don't know, and I don't know if I'll know all five of them, but um, there's there's this context of knowing who, what your partner wants and speaking to them from a place of their wants, right? So, right. touch is one, a love language. It's one of my love languages. Mine as well. Um, acts of service. Um, quality time or experiences, which is another one of my love languages, and gifts. Gifts. I'm not a big gifts person. Like, I I'd much rather have an experience. I'd much if I'd rather you know if, if I'm with a part if I'm with someone and she's like, let's go to Paris tomorrow. I'm a hell yes. Yeah. Like, let's go. Like, let's go to the airport right now. But I'm not gonna buy you most likely a Louis Vuitton purse as an expression of love. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't. Ha you know, enjoy or give gifts. It's just not my. Right. But but what's interesting is I think many people presume their love language is their partner's, is their partner's love <laughs> yeah. language. And that's when we get in trouble, right? Because it's right. like, I've been in a relationship with people who were gifting is their love language. And it's like, okay, cool. I get to like shift into gifts yeah. from a place of listening yeah. that that's your love language. So let me, let me express my love in a way that you receive it in its optimal way. If there was a context, if you will, of wits sexual love languages, right? Like if you had sort of tenants, and I don't, and I don't, oh, I don't want to put you on the spot and that you have to have like a perfect delineation or articulation, but in a way it's my own way of asking kind of what good sex is. What, what do you feel like are some of the core love, love expressions as embodied through sexuality that people are, are sort of archetypes in their sexual expression? Definitely touch. Um, Acts of service would be a really a big one there too, um, and I think words of affirmation. Yes, you know? that's it. That's the other one. Words of affirmation. Yeah, that because that's. I mean, at least for me, when I'm having sex with somebody, I want I want to really feel them. Like I love the physical touch of that. You know, like be all over me, <laughs> and 
words of affirmation. Tell me that you're enjoying this. Tell me that this is beautiful or tell me that you're super turned on, like whatever it is. I want to know, I want to, I want to know you in that way, Mm. you know? Um, But I think like, because we put the performance on sex, we don't do those things. We like, let, what, what is that thing that I saw on a porn that maybe I'll just try and say and do instead of getting down to what their love language is? So for me, if it's physical touch and you know, my boyfriend isn't doing that, I'll grab his hands, you know? I'm like, come here. I'm, I'm the type of person that's just like, I want to have the best sex that I possibly can have yeah. <laughs> and have the best relationship that I can possibly have. But it does start with communication. As you said, communication is lubrication. It is. And I think what's interesting is I feel like, especially for men, there's this notion, and I'm not in any way underestimating me, the, the power or importance of sex. But I think also many men kind of compartmentalize other aspects of their yearning or their mm-hmm. desires or their love expression into sex because they don't feel comfortable to ask for the other elements, right? Yeah. Like, like intimacy, for example. I think most men just want to be seen and held and appreciated for who they are, right? Yep. And what's interesting is it's, it's not until after a sex act where you know, someone has received pleasure, you know, they've had multiple orgasms and you can both kind of like be like, okay, no more. No, yeah. I, now I can just like, I can just oh, be, I don't surrender. have to do anything. I'm it, just being. Exactly. And to feel appreciated just mm-hmm. for who you're being. Right. To not need to be in. And by the way, there's a beauty in the dance of, of the, of the attraction and oh, the yeah, seduction, of but to actually be able to be like, Okay, for a moment, I can just, like, rest and be seen and appreciated. And that's that surrender and that freedom. That's it. That's it. And it's, and it's also the piece you were talking about earlier with the intimacy. I feel like it's, like, that to me is actually, not to sound weird, but, like, the sex part, I feel like, is, I don't want to say easy, but, but you can, if, if, you, if you want to have, if you, if you, you know, if you want to call that into your life, that's, that's not something that oftentimes is hard the intimacy part to me is is the part where it's like I feel like there's a deep yearning around sexuality for true intimacy, which also obviously feeds into I think better sex. And that doesn't mean that every sex act has to be like this, like you know, singular expression. But I feel like there's such a there's such a yearning for that notion of of seeing and being seen, mm-hmm. and we don't do it often enough with people just in general. And so, sex becomes like this this way in which we can finally sort of be, I feel like in a way, honest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like, you know, if I think about it, I feel like sexuality is such an honest expression. It's a way in which you can express sides of yourself that are otherwise repressed or otherwise not, you know, not seen. And to be celebrated for that, Mm -hmm. for all the aspects of who you are, and even, your, like you said earlier, like the eye gazing and the wrinkles, and even for your flaws, right? For that yeah. to be enough and okay, it's a healing. Oh, of course. And it's, it's, that's, that's where, you know, when you see these long-term relationships of people that you're like, wow, I really admire them. What's going on? Is that they're not just having sex. Like, it's a deeper com- communion, you yeah. know? Um, but in our society, all we know is this, really the superficial act 
of sex and what that is when there's so much there to be explored that's so exciting. And I really feel like how you show up in the bedroom is how you show up in your life. So if you're talking about what you want in the bedroom, you're gonna be talking about what you want in life. Mm. If you're saying that I deserve pleasure in this arena, then you deserve that raise at your job. The way that you show up in the bedroom is going to 100% dictate your life. That was a mic drop moment. Yeah, no. I mean, how you do anything is how you do everything in a way. But I had never thought about it in the way of um, the bedroom. And I feel like that's so poignant and powerful. And, And you do see, it is interesting, you do see, like, I often think of, for example, dancing. as a precursor. I mean, for me, honestly, like not to be, but like dancing has so oftentimes been the precursor to to amazing sex. Mm -hmm. But last night, so I was, we were out and there was a circle of us. And I mean, it was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, not to be weird, but I was like, wow. I mean, I was surrounded by, it was just like some very beautiful humans, right? And we're dancing around this tree and each person's taking, taking turns, like leading, you know? And so it's like these Brazilians and Italians and we're all kind of like moving. And it was wild because the synchrony of our, of our energy was so, uh, so good, so mm-hmm. singular, if you will. And then there was a guy, like an, let's call him an outlier. And he, you know, I mean, it was, I can understand and appreciate why he was attracted to the, the circle. Sure. It was definitely like, there was definitely some, some energy moving yeah. and there was some, definitely some extraordinarily beautiful women. But his approach was so not in listening. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so awkward. And it actually totally threw the energy of the group because yeah. he started hitting on one of the women and like mm. awkwardly trying to dance, but not actually in a way that served the circle yep. and the group. And then he's talking instead of actually participating and listening. And throughout the evening, because she was a dear, she's a friend of mine, I just saw him like awkwardly try to like hit on like, oh, you want to come to this after party? Let yeah. me buy you a drink. And I was like, wow, like this is so, I feel like so many people, again, run almost like a script of what they think should happen mm-hmm. to cultivate uh, sex, sexuality, intimacy. And it's so not based in listening. And I'm like, man, like, read the room. I know, You know what right? I mean? I'm like, read the room. Like, you know, he could have, by the way, totally jumped in if he had come in, like, open and expressed and, like, had offered something to the group, right? Like, yeah. like some fun move that everyone then got into. Then he would have entered into synchrony. Mm-hmm. But instead, he became, like, the awkward outlier. And you could actually feel everyone else get kind of, like, awkward. Yeah. And I feel like, it, for me, it was so telling. I, when I was, like, just thinking about it as you were talking, is it's like... Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's something that if you're not in a place of listening and you're only running a script of how you think something should be, it's a recipe for disaster. And then, and then are you even living? Like, what are you doing? Right. Whose life are you living if you're running a script that somebody else wrote for you? Yes. You know, and, it's, and it sounds like he kind of came into that situation of what can I take from this? Yes. Ooh, that looks fun. Let me take that fun. Yes. You know, and that's fine. But also, what can you give? Like, I want to show up here and give my presence, my love, my enjoyment to the people around me. And if that's where your mind's at, listening comes easy. But if you're constantly going through life, what can I take? What can I take? What can I take? It's you get blinded. Yeah. Let's let me let me ask you about this dance between because I think that this is what come up, come, comes up for me. The dance between pursuing, like you said, not being in the chase. The dance between pursuing and receiving. Because I think 
and, and, and especially as it relates, I'll, I'll talk about for the inherently masculine <clears throat> energy in approach to the feminine, because that's kind of okay. what we were talking about last night, right? So I think there's an interesting dance that comes in the embodied masculine mm -hmm. seeking to attract the embodied feminine. Right. And it is a dance between pursuit and, if you will, surrender, right? Or, or, or withdrawal almost, right? Like one of the ways I think sexually also you can draw energy is that teasing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, like coming and then like withdraw, yeah. you know, like coming in, withdraw, right? And building that energy, right? That chi. Uh, but I, I feel like most people come monotone, right? Like they're not in stereo. They're not in that dance between the two. They're like, okay, I'm just going to be aggressive. Like the guy at the club that's like, I imagine for the, for the women, and because I, I know many of them, my female friends, that's like kind of like totally obnoxious and right. not, not listening <laughs> yeah. to the fact that you're not interested. Yep. Um, but then there's also the guy who's like the nice guy that never has the courage to approach and therefore, you know, is in perennial frustration because he doesn't want to be that guy, but he also doesn't know how to be in the dance. Mm -hmm. And so for, any, for, for those listening that may be questioning that polarity, how do you see an effective dance between uh, the, the active and the, if you will, um, surrendered? I don't know if surrendered is the right word, but like coming in and then also drawing back because I feel like it's such an integral part of the dance. How do you see that um, as being most uh, poignantly expressed when it relates to the active masculine calling forward and enticing the active mm. feminine? So I don't think it has to be so binary. You know, when we talk about the two guys, it's either one is too shy to yep. go up. So he's running some program of fear, maybe it's rejection. So I think it's starting to look at why am I too shy to go up to women? What is, what is preventing me from that? Mm. And then the guy who just, you know, bulldozes in and tries to buy you all these drinks and get you drunk, he's also running some sort of program that he's trying to cope. Maybe it is fear of reject. Maybe it's the same thing for both of these people. And so if you can figure out where that, like you said, the dance, where is that dance? It's somewhere in the middle, and it's not thinking so binary of that. And so what is the, what is the, I want to say what is the why? Like what is your why for being in that dance with that person? But when you talk about, you know, consciously creating that, it does take you understanding that you are doing that. You know that you're doing it. You're consciously saying, okay, I'm showing up in this way because I know it's pleasurable for you. You know, I'm not manipulating you, right. which is kind of what either the other two examples we were talking about to a certain extent. It's, it's understanding the listening and understanding like, okay, we can float through this together because I'm consciously aware of the fact that I'm doing it. Yes. I'm not running a program. Right. So the conscious awareness. The conscious awareness of that. And, and being, I feel like, Again, it comes back to that notion of listening. Yeah. But I feel like, yes, oftentimes people, I, I see those two archetypes a lot. Yeah. But I feel like the, the sweet spot is that, is that, if you will, middle ground of totally. being from a place of listening, able to shift into knowing, you know, where you are in the dance. You know, like mm -hmm. I think about salsa, you know, and I love, yeah. I love the like, I love the, well, one, I just love dancing, but two, I love the like coming up and then the, the, the retreat and like the, this sort of sway, I feel like that to me is oftentimes the metaphor for like the dance, mm -hmm. you know, 
that we want to be in, right? Yeah. Like that dance of like finding the resonance, finding that like synchronicity such that you know when you're in a good dance, you oh, know, yeah. like you it's know so when you're good. It's so, right? it's the God, best. So much fun. Yeah. It's the best. And I feel like that's the thing, right? We want to be looking for like, what's our song, what's our music. And then how do we find that, that sort of juicy resonance? Yeah. Um, I have an actual, because I was in my research, uh, I was listening to your podcast, and this is a bit of a non sequitur, but I wanted to ask you about it. So, vulva mapping. Yeah. What is it? And, and how can people utilize it to create more pleasure yes. uh, in the world? I love vulva mapping. Um, well, because a lot of people, basically, it's just figuring out where you're the most sensitive, mm. where, and where you're numb, where what areas feel better than other areas. You know, a lot of the times, um, well, not a lot of the times, but our pleasure points are in quadrants on our vulva. So sometimes someone's more sensitive in the upper left-hand quadrant, someone's more sensitive in the upper right-hand quadrant. Um, and it's just taking the time to figure out where that is for you. And you can use a toy. They have these little toys. I think it's called a Zoom, Zoomia. And it's like a pinpoint. So you can take that toy and just explore, see what feels good, see what doesn't feel good. Some people like vibration, some people don't like vibration. Um, and so it's just taking the time to really explore yourself um, and seeing, you know, seeing what's awesome. That's, that's what's so exciting about it. For people who haven't done it, it makes me so excited because it opens up this whole new world of pleasure to them. It's so cool. I love that. Okay. And so you can just look it up. Like you can go on Google and look up how to vulva map and it'll, you know, walk you through a little bit of a process. But basically it's taking some time for yourself, you know, like set the scene, put on some good music, maybe some incense, you know, get your coconut oil, your favorite lube. And just, it's like you're giving yourself a massage, a vulva massage and just see what comes up. And you'll start to, uh, you'll start to, feel things that you've never felt before. Wow. It just opens up this whole new world of pleasure. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other, if you will, principles of pleasure? I mean, because I love, I love that because that's a very concrete expression that maybe many people don't know mm -hmm. of how they can get to know their body better or their partner's body better such that they can enhance their pleasure from a place of listening. Yeah. Are there other principles of pleasure or things that are maybe unexpected that you can share that, that, that a listener could utilize to, to enhance the pleasure of their, their partner? One of my favorite things, too, is, is kind of similar to vulva mapping, but it's um, penis massage or vulva massage. And so it is, you know, being lay back. You have to receive the pleasure from your partner. And they're just rubbing you. They're rubbing your thighs. They're rubbing your groin. They're rubbing your, you know, scrotum and ass and that whole area. Um, but it's not with the intention of orgasm. It's really just, like, focusing and, like, uh, honoring the cock, basically, you know, or the vulva. And that can be so awesome. It's one of my favorite things, and it's so easy, and people never do it. They don't ever think about, oh, wait a minute, I can just completely massage my partner in all of the really juicy, feel-good spots. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I feel like, um, I feel like anytime you, you take, a, take the time to be in dedicated service to the pleasure yeah. of the person you're with, it's... Um, especially when you don't do it with any expectation of return. Yes. It's like the ultimate uh, exponential creator of, of just like 
harmony and good, you know, yeah, yeah, good juju, Uh I feel like. It really is. And it's just, I mean, everything's better after an orgasm, too. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, are there any, you know, this is this is actually a question I asked. I had a uh, tantric uh, practitioner on uh, previously, but from the place of orgasm, again, we're not we're not only in this obviously for outcomes, but let's be real. No one no no one dislikes an orgasm. Yeah. Uh, and not that it has to be you know multiple multiple, but no one's mad if it is. No, uh, so not. <laughs> from a place of if you have any insights around how one can foster the creation of orgasm or becoming multi-orgasmic. And I know, you know, for example, part, partly that's around anatomy that can be, you know, like, um, you know, there's obviously different ways in which people um, come to their orgasm. But when, what, insi- what insights can you share in regards to um, how to receive pleasure more deeply? Hmm, yeah, um, when it comes, so first, it's totally, there's so many people that I talk to who have never had an orgasm, particularly yeah. women, and only 4 to 18% of women um, can come from penetration alone, <clears throat> so necessary, you use the clit, enjoy it, uh, honor her, she's fucking awesome, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's, it's, but it's also understanding that orgasm is surrender too. And so, and we've trained ourselves. Usually we have one way that we can get to orgasm and we know it, right? It's like, boom, I I can do this one move and I can make myself come by myself, whatever. Branch out of that. There's so many, try try to start breathing and don't clench when you're about to have an orgasm. Um, If you're wanting to learn other ways on how to have orgasms, get yourself, try edging, so get yourself to where you're almost about to come um, in whatever way that is for you and then introduce a, a different stimulus. Mm. So maybe it's you know, using a dildo if it's something internal, if you're trying to learn to come from, uh, from penetration or rub your nipples or you know, there's, there's so many different things that you can do, but get yourself to the very edge and introduce something else and it'll start to train your brain oh, I can come this way. Because like we said, the brain is huge when it comes to sex. And it's just training like, okay, I trained myself how to come this one specific way my entire life, most likely through masturbation. But now I'm going to train myself to do it other ways too. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I feel like we, we oftentimes get into a um, default in, in many aspects of life. But but novelty and treading into new territory I think is so beautiful and I feel like also that notion of like how do you ride that edge right like how do you like how do you take it there and then have the discipline to bring it back right (laughs) you're like okay this and I feel like you know I think this is true for both sexes but I would say from personal experience and speaking to the men listening I think that there's so much self-control available in breath and actually doing the breath work and not only consciously breathing with your partner as a way to accentuate pleasure and connection, but also as a man to be able to ride that edge mm-hmm. and, then, and then come back from it. And then, because I feel like also the edge moves further and further afield as you ride it more and more, oh, right? It's yeah. like you take it to the edge, you draw back. You take it to the new edge, you draw right. back. And like that to me is like where there's so much juiciness. Uh, and, and, and that to, is like, to me, fostered by the breath, right? It's like yes. the breath is, is how the brain and the body are Absolutely. connected. 
Absolutely. And for, for guys who are like, oh, I can never do that. What? You have no self-control? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You absolutely, you're human. You're 100%. You're a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you can just breathe and stop yourself from coming. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And by the way, like, everything is better on the other side of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like... And you can extend your sessions. Like, you can go all day without coming, but you're still, like, really passionate and turned on, and, like, there's not that dip exactly. that some men get right afterwards. Yeah, you spend... I mean, many people are wanting, deeply wanting, for profound sexual expression. Yeah. And then they get into it, and they all of a sudden want to end it real quickly. Like, what, yeah, like what's up with that? Right? You know, it's exactly. like, no, you're in the dance. Like, you know, congratulations. And, like, savor the dance. You Keep know, make it, a, make it a beautiful, you know, salsa, merengue. You know, yeah. like, do all, you know, take, do, like, it really explore the dance floor, you know? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like when you're on the dance floor, like, that's one of the, like, most beautiful times in your life. Yeah, it is. And why would you want to exit stage left real quick? You mm -hmm. do not, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you want to be dancing. Right. Yeah. Be in it. Be in it. Yeah. Um, I love this. Okay, so I want to I wanna be mindful of your time because um, uh, your man is, is waiting for us with lunch. Yes. Uh, very, very nicely. So I want to ask a couple of final questions. Is there or are there any resources, uh, and obviously we're going to get to your work uh, in, a, in a moment, but are there any books, films, um, tools that you recommend that you think anyone listening should invest in to like really deepen their knowledge? Um, yeah, like I said earlier, earlier, Kenneth Play, I can't stress that enough. It's, he's amazing. Check, check his website out. There's a bunch of videos on there, courses you can do with your partner. Um, he is demonstrating on somebody, so if you're not interested in necessarily porn, probably don't watch it. Um, but other than that, it's, he's amazing. I love the book, Come As You Are. Uh, Mastery of Love is a really great book, I think, for, for couples. Um, there's a book... Uh, women's anatomy for sexual arousal, which I love for one, women to really understand, you know, their body and try these new ways. Um, but also they have like hot tips in there for your partner. And so if you're reading it together, this is just like, she gives you these hot tips and you can just try them out with one another. And so it's, it's really cool to have, you know, kind of like a roadmap to try, to try out. Um, trying to think, you know, like, I love the pod, I have podcast, True Sex and Wild Love with Dr. Wednesday Martin. We talk all about science of sexuality, uh, but also Sex with Emily is a really great one. Uh, Shameless Sex podcast I really like. So, yeah, I think those are probably the, the top ones for me right off the bat. I love it. I would add for those listening, uh, at least the men, Way of the Superior Man, although it's not inher that, yeah. inherently about sex and sexuality. And I also think um, King Warrior Magician Lover is another great oh, book on sort of embodied masculinity. Um, I would just add those two, but I love the list that you gave. Um, where can people find you and your work? Yeah. Urban Tantra is another book that Urban I really Tantra. like. I haven't read that. Yeah. Okay. I'm on one. it. Um, yeah, so you can find me on social media uh, at Wit in Love on Instagram. I'm, that's mainly where I'm at all the time. Twitter, a little bit here and there. It's, it's W-H-I-T-N-L-O-V-E. Um, and I have my podcast, True Sex and Wild Love. I'm starting another podcast with my best friend, Stephanie, who was Aubrey's 
first lover during our whole polyamorous relationship. So it's so much fun. I'm really excited about that. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, and then I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching and group mentorship programs. So I'm launching another four-month relationship mentorship program, which we're coming to the end of right now in about a month. So that'll come out in, I don't know when this is going to come out, but that'll be released in March. And it's a really cool program where we go through the self, we go through relationship, we go through sexuality, integration, the whole thing. And we, get, we go deep. We go real deep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I wouldn't expect uh, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, I just want to just say it's been a true pleasure. You know, we met a few years back, mm -hmm. but... Uh, and we just ran into each other on the beach here in Duluth. I know, How right? Great is that? I was literally walking on the edge of the ocean and I was like, oh, wit, you know? Yeah. And, and met your partner and then we had a, a nice meal yesterday and I was like, ah, you know what? We should, we should have a chat. And I'm so glad we did. Me too. I, I just feel like... Um, one of the th areas, I feel like anytime I have resistance or, you know, something comes up for me where I, you know, I just feel like there's an edge, yeah. again, a, a different type of edge, right. like you said, you know, kind of what happened in the bedroom or, you know, beyond. For me, it was like, you know, obviously sex and sexuality is important and central to all of our lives, right? It's how we gestate life in its mm -hmm. ultimate expression. Um, and it's something that no one talks, or well, not no one, but very few people are comfortable talking about. And for me, coming from a background of like, you know, working with like politicians and world, I was like, oh, I don't know if I ever want to talk about sex just because it feels like the risk reward. It's more, it's more risky than it is rewarding. Yeah. But then I flexed into, well, if this is truly a platform for me to, to try to be of service from the listening of, of those, you know, in the audience... The, you know, one of the questions that people are asking all the time is around sex and sexuality. So it's so, um, so beautiful to have you on and to talk about relationships yeah, and sex you. And, and, you know, just have an unfiltered conversation. So I just want to honor you and acknowledge you for, for being willing to put yourself out there. I feel like so many people, um, you know, take the, the, the safe road in life, you know, and are willing to, to sort of, you know, filter certain aspects. And my experience of you has been unfiltered and, and willing to, to share your truth uh, in service to others. So thank you, thank you for, uh, for how you show up. Thank you. Yeah, that's a huge compliment when people say that, you know, I, they get the unfiltered version of me and like I'm authentically expressing that's what I'm here to do. So it feels, I really receive that. Thank you. Yeah. It's a pleasure. So Whitney Miller, everyone check her out and thank you again. Yeah, thanks.